0: We're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church for unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. There are two words we often say when we're questioning the truthfulness of something. Prove it. Prove it. Someone makes a bold claim, and we think, really, show me. Prove it. And the request for evidence, for proof, uh, isn't bad. We look for proof in all areas of life. Uh, Courtrooms require evidence. They say, okay, you're making this case. Where's your evidence? Where's your proof? Or how about this, I recently bought a plane ticket and the airline gave me proof of purchase, a ticket, so that I could prove it, that I could show. Yes, in fact, I have the credentials to board this plane. Beloved, we look for proof in all areas of life. Even in the church. Even faith, friends. Is based on evidence, on proof. Now, the Christian faith is not a blind faith. God does not call us to abandon all reason and all senses and just sit here hoping we're not wrong. No, God has acted. God has spoken. God has given proof. And he's done so chiefly in his son, Jesus Christ. I have a friend who is not a Christian that I've been talking to about Jesus. I really care about my friend. And my friend was kind enough to be honest with me, to trust me with her honest thoughts, her honest words. Even though her words made me sad. Because you see, my friend recently told me that she thinks that Jesus is boring. That Jesus is boring. And I wonder if you've heard me say, maybe in past sermons, that Jesus is the best and that Jesus is amazing. And you're thinking, prove it. Can you please Prove it, because the evidence of my life seems to be proof of a very different reality. The hardship in my life, the things I'm going through, seems to say that Jesus isn't all that concerned with me, that he doesn't even really feel for me or even see me, and yet you say Jesus is amazing. Well, then prove it. Or maybe you're here thinking, I hear you, preacher. I hear you say that Jesus is amazing, but if I'm honest, it's my sin that looks and feels and tastes amazing. You say Jesus is amazing, preacher. Will you please again prove it? Friends, kids, sisters, brothers, God has been kind enough to give us this proof himself. Turn to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. It's on page 785 of those pew Bibles around you. We've been walking through Mark's gospel this fall, answering the question that Mark puts before us, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? the The most important question we can ever answer And we've seen so far that Jesus is the one who fulfills what God has promised in his word, uh, that Jesus is the one who identifies with his people, the one who proclaims the gospel and the one who creates a gospel people. We thought about last week as we saw Jesus changing everything in his first disciples lives. And we thought about how nothing should keep us from following Jesus. There's nothing worth keeping if it's keeping us from Jesus. Amen? And we saw this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, which is really what we're still looking at, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And as his ministry begins, Jesus is about to do some things you've never seen before. And he's going to do them to confirm, to prove the truth of what he says and who he is. Beloved, Jesus is going to do some amazing acts to confirm, to prove the truth of what he says and who he is. And my prayer, friends, is that you would believe in and stand amazed at who Jesus is and glorify God as a result of it. Beloved, you should be amazed at Jesus. Why? Three reasons, here's the first. You should be amazed at Jesus because he teaches like no other. Point number one, you should be amazed at Jesus because he teaches like no other. Other. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 21, with me. If you're new to the Bible, the big numbers are the chapter, the little numbers are the verses. Mark chapter 1, verse 21, hear now the word of God. And they, Jesus and his disciples, went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they, the people in the synagogue, were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Let's pause here, believing that this is the word of the Lord. Beloved, you should be amazed at Jesus because he teaches like no other. This is what we just saw. Jesus and the disciples he just called, verse 21, tells us went into Capernaum, a town on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. We'll think more about the Sabbath next month when we look at the end of chapter 2. But the point today is not when Jesus came into the synagogue, but what he was doing there. Look with me at that last word of verse 21. Friends, Jesus was teaching. And the people were astonished at his teaching. Why? Verse 22, because Jesus would teach as one who had authority, not as the scribes who were the religious teachers of the day. Friends, Jesus would come on the scene teaching like no other. See, others would speak about the traditions of God's law and quote God's law, but Jesus would say, you've heard it said that God's law means this, but I say to you. Friends, scribes would speak in the third person saying God says this, God says that, but Jesus would speak in the first person, I say to you. In doing so, Jesus wouldn't just echo God's law. He would even seem to be editing it. And who has the right to edit something but the editor-in-chief? Friends, even in what and how he teaches, Jesus is pushing the envelope to clearly say to people, I'm God. I'm teaching with his authority on the matter because I am him. A friend, you might sit here questioning whether Jesus was God, but there was someone who wasn't confused. The demon we met in our passage. When it came to Jesus' identity, this demon said, I know who you are, verse 24, the Holy One of God. So in Isaiah, remember Isaiah is Mark's main source. God would describe himself as the Holy One of Israel who would deliver his people. This demon says to Jesus, I know you're the one God has set apart to deliver his people and to destroy his enemies. Friends, didn't we hear it in James a few weeks ago? Even the demons believe. They know who Jesus is, but they don't love who Jesus is. It's not enough simply to know who Jesus is, know our response to Jesus matters. We'll say more on that later. But let me give a quick word on demon possession. Because I fear that sadly, especially around Halloween time, people learn more about demon possession from the box office than they do their Bibles. So I wanna address this. I know in the experience of many American Christians, demon possession sounds bizarre. And on one level, it is. And to be clear, I I do think there's unique stuff going on when Jesus is walking the earth. I think all hands from hell were on deck and unleashed, and yet we ought to be careful, beloved, to not project our experience of Christianity here in America as the standard of what all Christians should experience around the world. In other words... Witnessing things like demon possession may be uncommon for us, but it may not be for other Christians. I remember an American missionary being in India. She saw someone relieved of a demon, and an Indian Christian was unmoved at the scene. He basically acted like this business is normal. He said, this is very common here. Friends, Satan may work in different ways across the planet. So in our culture, he may work through materialism and greed and ease, but be careful to not project your experience of Christianity here in America onto the experience of Christianity in other nations, especially nations with little gospel access or witness where God does miraculous things, I think, to confirm the truthfulness of the gospel just as he's doing here. If all that went over your head, let me say this. Satan may work in different ways across the planet, but Jesus is Lord over the entire planet, amen? Even here in verse 27, look with me. We see the unclean spirits obey Jesus. These demons ain't arguing with Jesus and that's because they're not on the same level as Jesus. Beloved, you don't need to fear demonic forces because the scriptures are clear that though they are evil, they are not equal with God. Can I get an amen? Sisters and brothers, see your Savior for who he is. He is not a scaredy cat. He's in charge. And he's also famous. Verse 28 says... Make sense? This guy who's teaching in a unique way and casting out demons, his fame spreads. And yet at this point, Mark gives us a surprising interlude in chapter one. Mark says, Jesus' fame is growing. And what does Jesus do? Start a Twitter account. Sign autographs. Look at what Jesus does as his fame grows. Look with me at Mark chapter one, verse 35. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he answered emails and text messages to the wee hours of the night. No. There he turned over his thoughts anxiously and prepped his sermon notes. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Thank you. No, the Bible says while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. There he prayed. Friends, Jesus made time to spend with his heavenly father amid all that he had going on and he had a ton going on. Everyone wants to see him. Verse 37, Simon comes to Jesus and says, look with me, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Christian, your Jesus is a focused Jesus. I love this. Jesus makes clear that while his ministry was for people, he was not beholden to people. No, Jesus knew who he was and by being unwilling to give up time with his father in prayer, Jesus was letting everyone else know too his devotion to prayer to let people know that I'm the teacher, you're the student, I'm the master, you're the servant, I'm the potter, you're the clay, I'm the creator, you're the creation, I need to pray, people can wait. Beloved, Jesus is not on your schedule. He's on his, as he does his father's will. And so verse 39 says, he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What would it be like to be someone whom Jesus relieved of a demon? To be someone whom Jesus healed? Beloved, does it amaze you that Jesus not only touched people with his words, but that he would touch people with his own hands and heal them? Friends, Jesus is amazing because he teaches like no other, yes, but also because he heals like no other. Point number two. You should be amazed at Jesus because he heals like no other. Look back at chapter 1, verse 29. Immediately, Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told Jesus about her. And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Hop down to verse 40. Verse 40. And the leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Move. With pity. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately, The leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But the man who was healed went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places And people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pause here. This is the word of the Lord. There's lots of interesting things in these verses. Verse 29, it's interesting that Jesus and the disciples come to Simon and Andrew's house. So last week we talked about leaving everything for Jesus and whatever that means. It doesn't mean disciples can't have homes and follow Jesus or be married and follow Jesus, right? We see Simon's mother-in-law. So Simon had a wife. Uh, There's lots we could talk about here, but what we see most clearly is that Jesus is doing incredible things. He's not just teaching people. He's also healing them. Friends, you should believe in Jesus because he heals like no other. He didn't just come to justify you and say, okay, I declare you innocent. Go on and sin no more. No, Jesus came to make you whole. I love in nothing but the blood. We ask, what can make me whole again? And didn't Simon's mother-in-law learn the answer to that question? Verse 31 is so incredible. Look with me. Verse 31, Jesus came and took her by the hand. Oh, this gentle Jesus lifted her up and the fever left her. Now we should be clear, beloved. We know sometimes Jesus heals, as our sister Ellen testified. But we also know healing doesn't always happen for Christians in this life. Uh, We know this from the book of James. We looked at a few weeks ago where we saw that it's the Lord's will that will ultimately done. Uh, We know this even from our own experience that Jesus doesn't always heal given the deaths of our brother, Sawyer Mullen, or Ty Proctor's mom. Again, Jesus is on the earth in a unique way In this moment in Mark, life is oozing out of him. People can reach out and touch him. And though we have his spirit, we do not yet have full access to his person. But make no mistake, we will one day. We will one day be able to touch Jesus. We will one day be healed of all our ailments. Beloved, wholeness awaits every Christian on the other side of the grave. What happened to Simon's mother-in-law is a preview of what will happen to you, sisters and brother. Rise. Be whole. Friends, while we lament deaths like Sawyer and Danny's mother-in-law, we do not Pity those who die trusting in Christ because they are more alive now than they've ever been. More whole now than they've ever been. They stand in Jesus' presence, amazed, healed, whole. Don't pity the dead in Christ for they are alive. Pity the living who don't know Christ, for they are dead. And yet, Jesus comes to them. Isn't that what we see in the exchange with this leper in verse 40? Jesus pities him. The leper approaches Jesus, asks to be healed. In verse 41, look with me, moved with pity. Jesus stretched out his hand. Pity often gets a bad rep. You know, we don't like receiving it because it offends our our pride. I don't need help. I don't need your pity. Don't you pity me. But praise be to God, Jesus ain't above pitying, folk. (laughs) Beloved, Jesus felt bad for people. This compassion moved him toward people. And the people who enjoy Jesus most and receive the most of what he has to offer are the people who happily receive his pity, his feeling bad for them. Sisters and brothers, I don't know about you, but I, for one, am glad Jesus saw me and felt bad for me and came toward me. I will take his initiative toward me. I will take his pity. I ain't too proud to be pitiful in Jesus' sight. Are you? Are you standing tall there like you've got something to offer Jesus? Please, beloved. The posture the leper teaches us is to take one of kneeling. See, some of you don't really enjoy Jesus because you've not yet felt desperate for Jesus. Some of you think, hey, I've got it pretty much all under control. If Jesus can give me a boost in this one area, That'd be great, and I'll keep doing my thing. But friends, that's not where the leper was at. No, the text says he implored Jesus, begged Jesus, knelt before Jesus. You see, leprosy was a terrible disease that had painful social consequences. Lepers had to live in their own colonies. Lepers, when they approached people, had to shout, unclean, unclean. A shameful reminder given so that people wouldn't touch them. But what does Jesus do? Verse 41 moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Friends, this is amazing. Because in Jesus' day, touching someone with a skin disease violated the Old Testament law and rendered a person unclean. So in that day, if you touch an unclean person, you are now unclean. But what happens when Jesus is in the mix? He touches the leper and Jesus doesn't become unclean. No, the leper immediately became clean. What can wash? We sang earlier. Sisters and brothers, today is a cleaning day. And I hope you see that you are not too sick, not too dirty for Jesus. Jesus healed so powerfully. So how Elisha in the Old Testament had to tell this man, go do this stuff, go dip in the water all these times. Jesus just speaks, I will be clean. The leper became clean, healed whole. It's striking. Earlier in the text, we saw an unclean spirit and how Jesus dealt so firmly with him. Here we see an unclean man and how Jesus dealt so tenderly with him. Mark is giving us a full picture of who Jesus is. Two more things I want to mention before we move on to our third point. First, I just want to meditate on this experience of the leper a bit longer. Like Simon's mother-in-law, it sounds like he was sick for some time. This leper lived on his own likely, far away from society, an outcast, a reject, someone people would have been disgusted by and ran away from. I mean, what must it have been like to be that leper and have the most famous man on the planet touch you love you heal you whole you yes i use the word whole as a verb jesus hold the leper and simon's mother-in-law he made them whole all those years of waiting, all those years of being sick, of being a burden on others, and Jesus came and made them whole. What can make me whole again? That's one thought. The second thought simply deals with why Jesus told the demons and the lepers to not talk about what happened. Did you notice this in chapter 1, verses 25, 34, and 44? What's going on? Well, remember in our overview sermon of Mark, we talked about what... Uh, Theologians call the messianic secret, the messianic secret. Turn to your neighbor and say the messianic secret. Well done. Uh, In our overview sermon, we talked about how Jesus would tell people to not talk about him for at least two reasons. Number one, remember, Jesus was focused. And as we saw earlier, Jesus was bombarded. If everyone figured out who he is, he couldn't get to where he needed to be. And we'll talk about where he needed to be soon. The second reason Jesus told people to be quiet about him is because people still had misconceptions about who he was. And he was still clarifying and confirming who he is and who is he. He's the one who teaches like no other, who heals like no other. And beloved, he is the one who forgives like no other. Point number three, you should be amazed at Jesus Because he forgives like no other. Look with me at chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. I love this. Jesus is back. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above Jesus. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, now, and glorified God saying we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, kids, sisters, brothers, you should be amazed at Jesus because he forgives like no other. And his authority to forgive sins is the point of this passage. Beloved, there are so many things we do well to think about from the Holy Scripture we just read. Uh, We can think about what these four friends teach us about evangelism, how determined they were to bring this paralytic to Jesus. Iron City Church, I pray we would be roof-removing friends and evangelists who are willing to come through the ceiling if it means bringing our friends to Jesus. We could think about these friends and so much more but we'll miss the point of this passage if we focus on the what instead of the why. And that, the why behind what Jesus is doing is what we see in chapter two. After all these four friends bring this paralytic to Jesus, he sees the man's faith. So interesting in verse five, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Not paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Not man, your sins are forgiven, but son. The son of man would make other men and women sons and daughters of God. But does he have authority to do that? The scribes would ask in verse six, right? Verse six, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that is the exact question Jesus would answer. You see, the answer to the question, who can forgive sins but God alone, is no one. And Jesus knew that. In forgiving people's sins, Jesus was clarifying that I am God alone. I can do what my father does because I and the father are one. So the religious leaders were like, hey, if you say you can forgive sins, you're saying you're God and Jesus is like, you have heard me correctly. That's what I'm saying. That's who I am, the great I am. Friends, Jesus teaches like no other, he heals like no other, he forgives like no other, and he can do all this because he is like no other. He is God, and there is no other. Isaiah 45:5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. And yet the scribes doubted Jesus, his identity his power, his divinity. And so Jesus gives them a sign, evidence. In other words, he proves it to them. He says, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, but that you may know. Beloved, Jesus was healing for knowledge's sake. He was healing so you could be knowing who he is. Friends, I think sometimes when people see Jesus' miracles, they, unwittingly, get caught up in the wonder of it all and forget that there is a reason, an instructive purpose behind Jesus' miracles. People forget that the miracles are a sign pointing to something, confirming something, proving something. Friends, we have these healings, not so we can think Jesus is nice and he healed people and now we should go and heal people because like him, we have spiritual superpowers. No, there was a purpose behind these healings. They prove that Jesus was who he said he is. So your driver's license, your ID card, it's proof of who you are. Through his healings, Jesus was saying, this is my license. And here's the thing, while you and me may need to go to the DMV and renew our licenses from time to time, Jesus' license never expires. Beloved, Jesus heals to confirm what he says, his teaching and who he is, his identity. He heals to prove that he is the son of man who has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's why he performed amazing healings before the scribes. Jesus says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say to the paralyzed man, get up and walk? And of course, it's harder to say to someone, get up and walk. But what does Jesus do but say to the paralyzed man, get up and walk? Friends, Jesus is making an argument from the greater to the lesser. If he can do the greater thing, heal someone instantly, he can do the lesser thing. Forgive sins, forgive sins. Friends, do you see how Jesus wields his authority? He rightly deserves our praise, our gifts, our service and yet he comes serving us, teaching us, healing us, holding us. That's what Jesus uses his authority for. Sisters and brothers, do you see the king is on the scene redefining what it means to be a king. He is using his power not to dominate, not to harm, but to teach, to touch, to heal, to forgive. Even if that meant he had to die. Earlier, I talked about where Jesus had to go. Remember, Jesus was focused. He didn't just come to stroll alongside the Sea of Galilee. No, he came to hang on the cross of Calvary. And it's the scribes who would lead the way in putting him there. After all, they were not fans of this guy showing up from a no-name town and teaching with more authority than they did. Remember back in chapter one, verse 22, it said Jesus taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And so the scribes and the religious leaders would make a bogus charges. They would pay Jesus' own disciple to betray him. They'd organize a mock trial. They would crucify him. But hear me clearly, it wasn't just the scribes who put Jesus on the cross. You did. You did. You did. It was your sin that held him there. You see, though forgiveness is freely given by Jesus, it was not freely purchased. No, Jesus bought our forgiveness with his own life. This is what Mark tells us in chapter 10 the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, and give it he did. Though he lived perfectly, Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners. He died the death you deserve for your sins, for your rebellion against God. Friends, Jesus gave his life as the perfect sacrifice, taking the full wrath of God so you could be fully forgiven by God. And the proof... That God accepted Jesus' sacrifice was that three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. Beloved, the empty tomb is the evidence Christianity rises or falls on. If someone is coming to Christianity saying, prove it, we need point no further than that tomb in which Jesus' body no longer lays. You want to be amazed this evening, beloved. This is the religion in which demon-possessed men are freed. Fever-laying women are healed. Leprosy-ridden men are cleansed. Paralytics are raised. And sinners like you are forgiven. And what was the response to these incredible acts of Jesus? Chapter 2, verse 12. Look with me. The people were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Did you notice in our passage, our passage is book ended by amazement at Jesus. We saw it. We saw the amazed people at the end of our text. And indeed they were also amazed at the beginning of our text. Chapter one, verse 22, the people were all astonished at Jesus teaching. Verse 27, they were all amazed. Friend, are you? Are you? Do you stand amazed like Sal sang at the presence of Jesus? the Nazarene. If not, ask Jesus for grace even now to see him for who he is. Not as the demon saw him, they saw someone to fear but not love. And don't see Jesus as the scribe saw him, they saw someone to question but not trust. No, be like Simon's mother-in-law who simply received Jesus' miraculous work and trusted him. She rose and started serving Jesus and the other disciples. Be like the leper who came on his knees, who was cleansed and couldn't help but spread the news to other people, as the text says. It's interesting, people who are changed by Jesus, rise, follow Jesus, and serve others. Speaking of serving others, beloved, be like the four men carrying their paralyzed friend, the men who came to Jesus in faith, which is to say, friends, turn from your sins. Trust in Jesus. This amazing Jesus, who has proven through his miracles, through his blood, that he is who he says he is the son of man who has an authority on earth to forgive sins, your sins. What a king. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray you'd enthrall our souls, that your spirit would open our eyes of faith even now to taste and see even more of your goodness. And we pray this in your name.